0: Maybe be seated. Well, I told you earlier that we had an, an exciting week uh, here at Westminster. Uh, so on Wednesday, about 15 of us uh, cooked food, and we took it over to the children's home. They have a big event on Wednesday where the whole, everybody comes together, and we, we got to cook for that um, I didn't take any pictures because I totally forgot, so I can't show you any of those pictures, but we had a great time just grilling out hamburgers and hot dogs, and we took it over and got to, to see the kids, and it was just a great time uh, serving them. And then on Thursday, you guys are seeing some pictures of us. About 40 of you uh, got together when we packed school supplies for our giveaway. Um, and, and again, it was just a, a great time uh, after the service Thursday, uh, uh, packing those bags uh, and then yesterday, uh, we gave about, out about 160 bags in less than an hour. Um, it was incredible. Um, I don't know if you can see some of the lines and stuff, but the turn, there were people, we started at 10, there were people here at 830 uh, waiting to get bags. They wanted to make sure their kids got school supplies. Uh, you know, for, for me, it's been interesting. I think... I think COVID life has made us focus on ourselves more than we normally would. All of us don't think this way all the time, but COVID has got got us thinking that way. And I had so many of you tell me at at our different events this week, this was so good for my soul. This was just good for my heart to to serve somebody else, to think about somebody else for a few minutes. Um, And and I think it's true. I think it's true. It, It was good for me as well. Um, so if you contributed supplies or money or volunteered at any of these events, even if you're at home, I want you to stand up. Could you just stand up? It's not bragging. I'm asking you to do it. If you volunteered, if you gave, brought supplies up, if you gave me some money to go shopping, hey, give them a hand. Okay, I'll let you sit down now. Um, we totaled over $6,000 in school supplies um, and, and money to go towards more school supplies because we ran out. It was supposed to be a four-hour event. We ran out in about an hour. So we're going to go get more, uh, and we got a list of the kids who couldn't who didn't get their supplies yesterday. Um, people left us notes. We've got notes. I've got stuff on Facebook. I've got numbers. We're going to make sure that everybody who needs it can have it, and so that's all because you guys... Just gave and volunteered and helped. And, and so I, I, I think as a church, I think as pastors sometimes, you hear a lot of this is what you need to do more of and do better and do better. And I just want to say, well done. Give yourselves a hand again. <clears throat> I think yesterday is what the church is supposed to look like. And, and it was just. You know, <clears throat> It was cool. It was cool. Do we have those other pictures, Sarah? Those last two pictures of the, the kiddos. I think maybe we do. So, so I got a text yesterday afternoon um, from, from a family who got their school supplies. And they said, my kids are unpacking their school supply bag like it's Christmas morning. Uh, look how proud these guys are. You know, I think it's stuff that we take for granted But you guys impacted 160 kids like that yesterday. Um, We're able to connect with that family. They've got some more needs. And and because of all the money you guys have given me, I'm going to take them school clothing shopping tomorrow um, and get them more stuff because they need shoes. They need other things. Um, And and all of that is because of you guys. And so, again, well done. Whew. Got that done. (laughs) It really was cool, and if you got to be a part of that yesterday, it really did feel like the way we're supposed to love others. It just was a cool day. Thank you all. Okay, so we are in Revelation 20 uh, this morning. We're getting close to the end of this book, um, but I have to start uh, with, with uh, one of my favorite movies. Do you guys like action movies? I hope so. So and I'm going to start by playing a clip uh, of, of a long-awaited battle. Okay, there's, there's justice that's going to get served. Um, and, and so it's a little bit like our passage for this morning. And so I just wanna, I want you guys to watch this clip in preparation uh, of, of, of our, our passage today. Today the blood of many a valiant knight shall be avenged. In the name of God, we shall not stop our fight till each one of you lies dead. And the holy grail returns to those whom God has chosen. Okay, who's seen this movie? I sure hope if, Okay. Uh, I, do you remember seeing it for the first time? Uh, this is Monty Python and the Holy Grail. I don't know if you remember seeing it. I was so mad the first time I saw that movie. Like, there's got to be a real ending coming. And Anyway, there's not. That's it. Um, so, so the Holy Grail is going to be a little bit different um, than, uh, than our ending uh, this morning. But it, it is similar in some ways because it's not what you would expect. Um, we've had this, this battle that's been building for thousands of years, right? And, and Revelation 20 is going to be the culmination of it. And so you expect it's going to be a very, um, a, a major, long battle. And it is going to be something very different. So your expectations, uh, uh, this, it, will, it will change your expectations a little bit. So, um, but, but it, this is the end. And God's going to win. And all things are going to be, be made right. This morning, right here. So, let's read Revelation chapter 20. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, holding in his hand the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain. And he seized the dragon, that ancient serpent, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years and threw him into the pit and shut it and sealed it over him so that he might not deceive the nations any longer until the thousand years were ended. And they marched up over the broad plain of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints in the beloved city. But fire came down from heaven and consumed them. And the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and the false prophet were. And they were tormented day and night forever and ever. Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. From his presence earth and sky fled away and no place was found for them. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Let's pray. God, help us to see your victory this morning. We look forward to the defeat of death and sin and evil. God, inspire us, give us courage this morning by what you have in your word. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so there's a lot of catching up that I have to do. Two weeks ago, Chris preached on chapter 5 of Revelation. And we saw that there was this scroll that Jesus, uh, Jesus alone was worthy to open. And, and, and after that, we started to see there was going to be some seals uh, of that scroll that start getting opened. And it's, just, it's a long process. And then uh, last week, Orlando preached over chapter 12. Uh, and we saw this red dragon, right? Remember, the, the most vivid imagery of a passage you could have is in chapter 12. This, this red dragon trying to de- defeat a, a woman that has a, a child. And, and things from from chapter 5 to chapter 20 of Revelation are just wild. There's really no other way to say it. Uh, I can't explain all the scrolls, the plagues, the seals, the trumpets, the bowls of wrath. Uh, I'll just quickly say that the world is tearing apart. Everything is coming undone. Um, Chaos, just think chaos, death, destruction. And and this death and destruction and and chaos, part of it is God's process of judgment and making things right. And then part of it is Satan causing confusion and division in the world. We're going to see the true ugliness of, of the apocalypse uh, taking place in those 15 chapters, right? When we talk about apocalypse, this is what you guys, what we think of, what we have in mind. And and, and we finally get some good news when we get to chapters 18 and 19, uh, because we see uh, the, the defeat of the, there are these antichrists, and, and they're these beasts, and, and they're leading the world into destruction, and, and, and God starts to defeat those things, just kind of systematically removing all of this from the world, and Um, And in in the end of chapter 19, Jesus shows up as a warrior on a white horse. And so you know things are going to get epic, right? If Jesus shows up on a white horse, you know big things are coming. And so here we are, chapter 20. What you need to know is that chapter 20 is probably the most disputed chapter in the book of Revelation. It's probably the most disputed chapter in all of the Bible. Uh, and, And that dispute comes from... Uh, basically the order in which people think God's plan is going to unfold. And, and so before we, we go any, f- any further this morning, I need to explain the kind of the three main ways that people understand the, these ordering of events, the way that God is going to unfold his plan, uh, the things that we just read and heard in chapter 20. And so I'm going to describe them. Uh, can we put the graphic up? I'm going to go ahead and see if it... You barely can see it a little bit. I'll talk a little bit about them. And you can kind of see them as, as I talk. So um, they can be a little bit confusing and overwhelming. And so these, gra- these graphics are really uh, simplified down versions of kind of the three main ideas uh, that we have. So the, the top two are related. And they're both in this group that we call premillennialism. Um And, and so premillennialism believes believes that, that Christ is going to return pre, meaning before, the millennium. Uh, What's the millennium? The millennium will be a thousand-year kingdom on the earth. Okay? And and premillennial camps believe Jesus will reign physically, like he'll have a throne, he'll have a kingdom. We'll all, you know, if we're in it, we'll be, uh, you know, subject to him as king. It it will be a time of great peace and justice and good things on the earth. Um, They also believe that the resurrected martyrs Right, are going to come and they'll get to reign with him. Right, they'll, they'll have little thrones where they'll kind of be sub-rulers under Jesus. And so you've got two different camps here. We've got um, the, the blue one is called post-tribulational premillennialism. These, these, these words start getting a little confusing. Post-trib means after the tribulation. You guys know, so the tribulation is this like seven years of awfulness, right? Um, and, and so the most historical Christians... Like, most, through most of history, have believed this blue one, and that is there will be this awful time called the Tribulation, and then um, Christians will be a part of it, and then after that, Jesus will come, and, and believers will be raptured, and that's when everything will get going crazy, right? That's where all that will happen. The red one is kind of a, a, a newer idea, uh, and if you, you know, saw the Left Behind movies or read any of the Left Behind books, that's the red one, okay? We call it pre-Tribulation, Premillennialism, pre-trib, pre-mill, okay? They believe that before the tribulation happens, believers are going to be taken up and not having to have to experience any of the bad stuff, right? Um, and that Jesus will come down, there'll be the seven years of, of tribulation, um, but, but there won't be any believers, right? Because they'll be taken up out of all of that. Okay, so the, the next one, so that's, those are both kind of the, the first camp, right? Uh, pre-millennial. The second one, that yellow one, is called postmillennialism. And you see the cross there, that's Jesus. Um, the, gray, the little gray areas are what we call the millennium in, 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 their, in that timeline. So they believe um, that Jesus is going to return after a millennial kingdom. So there will be a, an actual, it may be actual, maybe symbolic thousand-year kingdom on the earth, and that Jesus is going to come after that. They're, in their mind, the church is going to lead into um, this, this kind of the same period of peace and justice and good things on the earth that the church will spread the gospel so well, so effectively that essentially there will be a, a reign of Christ on the earth for a thousand years. Okay? And so Jesus is going to come at the end of that and, um, and then all of the judgment stuff is, is going to take place. Um, the third one is, there's that green one there, and it's amillennial or amillennial, depending on how you want to say it. Uh, and this, is, this group believes that uh, there will not be an actual thousand-year kingdom, that it's, it is symbolic. So if you see that long gray line, they would say all of that is what we call the church age, meaning everything since Jesus left in the book of Acts and said, hey, you guys are in control down here, I'll be back, that that's the gray piece, right? Um, and that the events of Revelation are all taking place during that same time, that all of Revelation is symbolic of what's happening in this church age, okay? Um, and so they would say that the, the, the world is progressively getting worse um, as a result of sin, and then at some point Jesus is just going to show up, right? And that will be his second coming, and then we'll have all the judgment stuff that we see in, in chapters 20 and, and 21 and 22, um, and, and they would say that the number 1,000 is a symbolic number. It's 10 cubed. I'm not a good math guy, but I do know a 1,000 is 10 cubed, um, which in, in Bible terms often is used for, to reflect perfect completeness, okay? And so they say we keep seeing this 1,000 thing. It's just representing a complete per, uh, amount of time until God is ready for all that judgment to happen. So those are the three. Um, and let me just say, all three of these views are Christian, Okay? That's the good news. All three of these views are Christian. They all have good arguments for them. There's are smart authors that have written amazing books telling you why theirs is right. And you read it and you go, that, yes, good good arguments. And then there are guys who've written arguments against all three of these. And you're like, oh, yeah, those are right too. Which tells me that we don't have all the answers, that we don't know everything that we would like to know. It leads me to believe there's probably a fourth way that nobody has ever thought of before, and Jesus is going to show up, and we're going to go, oh, we've been arguing about this for thousands of years, and duh, we should have known that's the way it was going to happen. That's what I think, in case you're wondering my my theology on this. There's probably another way uh, that we just haven't figured out, and won't figure out, because it's Jesus. So... um, What what I tell people is that these these things don't really change our lives or shouldn't change our lives that much, right, and our belief in any of them. Because there's people probably that hold all three of these or all four of those views uh, in this room, and that's okay. Um, All four views would say, well, you're supposed to be pursuing the Great Commission and loving God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength and your neighbor as yourself. If you can do those things, they all fit inside our, our millennial views. And so I try to spend my life focusing on the basic stuff that we know we're supposed to do, and not too much time arguing about which millennial view is better and who's a heretic, uh, because there, none of us are, okay, are not, none of us are heretics based on this stuff. So, and I tell people, I really hope that the pre-trib guys are right, right, I really hope that we all get raptured and don't have to experience all the yuckiness that's coming through all these chapters of Revelation, right, I hope they're right, but I also got to live my life prepared to know that I might have to go through tribulational kind of stuff, just to be prepared for. There might be some really ugly stuff that we have to endure uh, as believers. And also hoping like millennial guys that Jesus could come like a flash any second. He might just be here any moment and we won't even know. It'll just take place. So I kind of am a mixed blended guy, I guess, if that makes any sense. But, But importantly, all four views or all these views affirm four things that are important. Okay, the first is that Christ will return right anybody who says that's not gonna happen we got problems right if you can tell me how it's gonna be different that's fine but if we got to agree that he's gonna return right that's the first one the second is that there will be a resurrection of the dead anybody who's ever died will be resurrected and we'll get to the next part in a second for the for the third thing which is that there will be a last judgment everyone on the planet is gonna face judgment everyone and then the fourth is that we're all eternal there will be destinies for all of us it may be saved it may be lost but everyone on, who's ever lived on planet Earth has an eternal destiny. Okay, so all these views affirm those things, which are the big ideas of chapter 20. All, all of that is biblical, and all these views ha, uh, represent those and understand them as, as real. So, but if you do remember, we, we've been talking through Revelation that it's, it's really hard to get stuck in some of these details. And what we've wanted to do in our sermon series has just been to focus on the universal truths, the things that were true to the believers in Rome 2,000 years ago, the things that would be true to us today. and So that's what I want to focus on this morning. Um, And so I'm going to look back at our passage again, which we see divided kind of in three sections. And and so I want to go through those three sections and just kind of say, okay, what do we know, what are universal truths for for us living our lives based on chapter 20? And so if you look at your first section there in Revelation, it probably is listed as something like the thousand years, which is where people get the term millennium from. I'll read the first three verses again. It says, I saw an angel coming down from heaven, holding in his hand the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain. And he seized the dragon, that ancient serpent, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. And he threw him into the pit and shut it and sealed it over him so that he might not deceive the nations any longer. Until the thousand years were ended. Okay, so some believe this event has already happened. Some believe it's happening today, and some believe it's happening somewhere in the future. Um, But what do we all agree on? And that is that Satan is limited. Notice he's not an equal warrior against God. Right? He is. He is limited in his power. I also want you to notice there in verse 3 and and in verse 8, his main tool is deception, right? It's not shooting lightning bolts at us. It's not, you know, it is about information and truth and deceiving. He wants to deceive the nations. He wants to deceive us and lead us into things that aren't true. And what is truth? Scripture, God's word. That's truth. And so um, we as a church need to teach scripture because if Satan's main tool is deception, And he uses deception in in society, then we need to focus on truth. We need to be people who teach truth to those around us. Okay, second section is verses 7 through 10. Uh, You'll see it uh, listed as the defeat of Satan. Satan's going to get released, right? And, and it says that he starts to deceive the world again. And we, we, we see these things, Gog and Magog. And we've read about it in Ezekiel. There's other places in the Old Testament where we kind of have this, this portrait of, uh, of this representation of, of everything that's worldly and, and lustful and bad. And all of that gets kind of wrapped up into Gog and Magog. So just think about those as anybody who's a, who is against God and, and living against his word. Okay. And so Satan is going to rally all these people, and it's basically going to be a the whole world versus whatever's left of believers. Um, And and I want to read verses nine and ten again because it's it's a a truly significant moment, but it happens very fast. Says they marched up over the broad plain of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city. But fire came down from heaven and consumed them, and the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur, where the beast and the false prophet were, and they will be tormented day and night. Forever and ever. Okay, that's it. One sentence: evil is done. This major battle, here it is. The the, you know, evil is surrounded, the the faithful, and what happens? Exactly what Ezekiel said was going to happen in chapter 39, and that is the nations will be destroyed by fire from God. And so I want you to notice what the believers did. did. What did they do? How did they contribute to the battle? They didn't do anything, right? Uh, There wasn't any bazookas or tanks or AR-15s in this battle, right? They were huddled, surrounded, hopeless, and God defeats his enemies. Just like we see so many times throughout the Old Testament and other stories, God consumes his enemies with fire. So the truth is that believers have a true Savior. And we can relax a little bit. We, we can get nervous about these ideas of death and, and all the horrible news that we see in the world and we just think, it's all hopeless. But again, the victory belongs to our God. The victor, victory belongs to our Savior. It's not ours, it's His. Okay, last section, which is verses um, uh, 11 through 15. It's the judgment. And I want to I read this again. And and as I read it, I want you to take note of two different books, okay? It says, I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. From his presence, earth and sky fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. And then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them, and they were judged, each one of them according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Okay, so this is an important moment to kind of just step back a little bit and say remember that everyone on earth stands condemned already. Jesus talks about that in John chapter 3, right, where he says, I didn't come to condemn the world, but to save it, because the world was already condemned, right? They'd already done that on their own. You and I have already done that on our own. Every human being who's ever lived stands condemned because of the works found in this book. And, and it says books plural, which to me I, I envision this like stack of books, because if it's like Okay, Nick stands before the throne and all his book of deeds comes out. It's going to be ugly, right? Yours is going to be ugly too, but it's going to be ugly. We're going to stand before the throne, each one of us, and they're going to open these books, the book of deeds. And it says, you did this and you did this and you did this and you didn't do that and you didn't do that. We're all going to see that happen to us. And then another book is opened, right? There's another book opened, and what is that book? It's the book of life. Did, what were the requirements of being in the book of life? Did you, did you catch that part? There weren't any, were there? There are no requirements for the book of life, meaning your, your deeds in the, in the book of deeds, they don't go over and say, well, you did enough to get contributed into the book of life, right? It just looks to see if your name is found in the book of life. So you and I didn't do anything to earn our place there. The book of deeds are real. Recording every thought, every action, everything you should have done but didn't do. All of it is listed in this book. But what's the good news? Because right? there's a lot of bad news, Right? The bad news is that heaven is real. I'm sorry, hell is real, right? That's bad news. Hell is real. And if anybody tells you, oh, the Bible doesn't teach anything about hell, you just take them to Revelation 20, okay? Hell is very clear in this chapter. Everyone is judged. Everyone is gonna face judgment day. Every one of us, no exceptions. We will all stand before this Judge and throne, everyone. So, so what's the good news? Who's the judge? That cranky old guy, the one that never shows any leniency to anybody. It's Jesus. Jesus is the judge. So remember, Romans eight one says. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. There is no condemnation. So, yes, there is a judgment day, and it is not going to be pleasant. But the judge will go, will look at believers and say, Your name is in the book of life. Yes, you did all this. And you don't deserve to be here. But your name is found in the book of life because of Christ. Death is real. You know, if if anything about this last few months, uh, uh, you know, it's brought it to the forefront of all of our minds in different ways, but death is real, and it's coming for all of us. But we don't have to fear it. Read Revelation 20. It's ugly, but there's an end, and it's all made right, and there's nothing to fear. We don't fear judgment. We don't fear judgment day. We don't fear hell. Because followers of Christ are not condemned. There is no condemnation for those who are found in Christ Will gets to finish the story in the next two weeks of chapters 21 and 22 and it is awesome but it all leads to that because of this because there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ let's pray Father, we love you. And at times it feels like this world is unraveling and there's no justice being done and and everything is coming apart. But that's what you said was going to happen. But you also said that you were going to come and make it right. God, so help us to hang on. God, help us to persevere. God, help us to look to the end of the story when we struggle in the middle of the story. When we want to give up, when we want to quit, when we want to turn back, God, remind us that there is an end to this story. Remind us that there is hope in life and eternity with you because there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Thank you, Father. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.